Today's reading is Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, the mountain of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountaintop of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. I'm going to preach from here today. It's going to be close to the Advent candle. David Davis tells a story about being at a cabin, mountain cabin, with his son in a new place on a new night. And his young son called out and said, It's darker with my eyes open than shut. In that mountain darkness, without a nightlight, without any street lights, he felt like it was darker when he had his eyes open than when he had his eyes shut. Do you ever feel that way? Sometimes it feels easier to shut our eyes, to close our perspective, to narrow our field of vision than it is to keep our eyes open. And the holidays, really, uh, I was listening to one speaker this week that said, we're supposed to be happy from Thanksgiving until New Year's. <laughs> it's like you're not allowed to be sad for the next four weeks. And yet, really, this is a season with high rates of distress, emotional distress, and, and some depression. And we all fight, many of us fight at least, our expectations of the holidays versus our actual experience in them. It can also be a time where we're reflecting on the year past and maybe what's been difficult. It's a time sometimes where it's hard to keep our eyes open wide. Let's pray. Oh God, you invite us to hope and yet we admit and confess that sometimes we struggle to know what that would look like. And so we ask on this first Sunday of Advent that you would help us to know how to open our eyes to hope because you are our nightlight. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
One of my favorite poems at Advent, it's not meant to be an Advent poem. It's a poem called Keeping Quiet by Pablo Neruda. It begins with an instruction to count to 12. So I would like to invite you to close your eyes for a moment and together we will count to 12. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Now we will count to twelve, and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth. Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Now I'll count up to 12, and you keep quiet, and I will go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I first read this poem in a Advent Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, five years ago. It was the Sunday after the Ferguson grand jury trial for the, um, the killing that happened there, really the first time that we were confronted um, with this newer focus, more recently of police brutality. And we were just beginning to understand at that point the, the gravity of this situation. We were just beginning to get what was going on. We were beginning this new wave of understanding the African-American experience in our country. But we have learned so much, haven't we, in the last five years, if we've, we've listened to these voices as we've followed the news, as we've continued to wrestle with, with the continual in, continued inequity in our country. For instance, I've learned in the last five years that one of my favorite words, which is the word reconciliation, is not a word that um, the African-American community in general or at least a few people, don't want put out there without talking about justice. And I've had to confront my own sense of privilege 
around what I, when I easily want to say things like, let's all forgive each other, let's all be reconciled. Saying those things without the humility of recognizing my privilege, without taking time to learn about someone else's experience, without seeing and working for justice. And Isaiah's vision that Naomi read earlier is an invitation to all of us to learn, for all of us to consider how maybe we have prioritized our viewpoint over another. Let's look at that text together this morning. Isaiah said, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war no more. So house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Life is what it's about, says Pablo Neruda. This text, I love the name of this text. It's called the floating oracle of peace. So we'll let it float to us. Why is it called the floating oracle of peace? Because it also appears in the book of Micah. So it's obviously something that early ancient Israel was reading to each other, talking about, and here we find it in our lectionary on this first Sunday of Advent as the curtain rises on the new year. Here is the vision of what Christ can bring into the world. Here is the prophecy. Maybe not what's actually going to happen, but the hope that's pointing us in the direction we need to be headed. First of all, it says that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of mountain and shall be raised above the hills. And so there's a sense of the actual geography leveling out that, that God's mountain, where God lives, starts to raise above everything else. What are the mountains in our world? Maybe they're economic or racial or geographic inequities. Maybe it's the culture of war and violence. Maybe it's something much more personal. Maybe it's the mountain of mental illness or the mountain of grief or the mountain of physical illness or the mountain of separation from loved ones. Imagine with the prophet for a moment that God's mountain is raised above all of those Many people shall come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, that God may teach us his ways and we may walk in God's path. And so we go together in this passage, we go together, all of us, from our various mountains, from our various perspectives, from our various locations, to learn God's ways together. And in that place, there are no experts, there's no talking heads in that place. We are all learners in the ways of peace. And what do we learn there? In that place, it says God is the judge. God is the arbitrator. And God's goal is to work these swords into plowshares, to work spears into pruning hooks, that there would be no war, and no one learning war, no 
know that great African-American spiritual, I ain't going to study war no more. That comes right from this text. Notice here that justice and peace go together. That God does judge and arbitrate. And again, as I was saying, that's kind of the sign of our privilege, isn't it? That we want peace without justice. We want everything to be okay without actually talking about what's wrong. We want forgiveness without the hard conversations. We want reconciliation that's easy. But Isaiah's vision is that we would all learn, that we would allow our mountains and our empires to submit to God's way. And how do we know when we have learned the way of God? Again, there's a sense of an equal plane, of, of giving up our expertise, of, and this word has come up two weeks in a row in sermons, disarmament, on every level. Is it a challenge? Yes. It's a challenge to believe that this could actually be a reality, that we could actually live in this way. And indeed, it is a challenge on the large scale. I actually had a family member close to me who, who had a high security clearance in the Pentagon, and he once said to me, you have no idea what I see and what crosses my desk. And indeed, I don't. And indeed, I can only imagine. And yet, this is the vision we are given by Isaiah. This is the path in which we are invited to live and to learn. Is it a challenge on a relational level? Perhaps you're saying to me, you know what, you don't know my family. You don't know what it was like at the Thanksgiving table this last week. But hope is not about the pros of our lives. Hope is about setting our hearts to the poetry of God's ways in the world, about choosing a different way anyways. Yes, sometimes it is darker with our eyes open than shut. This very morning, uh, Richard Rohr said in his daily meditation, the meaning of faith stands in stark contrast. We have to live in exquisite, terrible humility before reality. In this space, God gives us a spirit of questing, a desire for understanding. In some ways, it is like learning to see in the dark. We can't be certain of what's in front of us, but with some time and patience, our eyes adjust, and we can make the next right move. The nightlight of our darkness is our hope. As I read at the beginning of the service by Halford Luckock, nothing really great ever happened without a great many lives being lived in expectation. These are the kind of folk by which the world moves forward, always standing on tiptoe. Hope is the invitation to stand on tiptoe, to live with our eyes wide open, setting out a nightlight of love and kindness and compassion and working for justice, not settling for anything less than peace. So as you consider hope this week, keep finding the ways in which maybe you can make this world a more just place. 
keep listening to voices different than your own so that that mountain of God's path can be leveled and made high. Keep forgiving. Isn't that one of the greatest acts of hope to continue to forgive? Keep inviting others. Keep opening spaces in which hope can be made possible, in which night lights can be set out in others' darkness. This is our Advent hope. Amen. <laughs>